And you have to do that for every student. And that's not to say that you need to design a project that's tailored to every student, but you need to recognize that that is who you have in your space. You know, you know, as a teacher, you need to hold all of those different identities and experiences at once and then figure out the best way to structure it such that, you know, and, and having these students learn um, and create. And this takes, you know, a huge amount of creativity on the teacher's part. You know, yeah. how do you do that? And that's why I think the teaching profession, when done well, is one of the most tricky and advanced jobs out there. It's a really noble, but also like, like deeply, immensely satisfactory if you get it right. Hello, you're listening to the Courage to Create podcast, the show that our oldest son, who's a high school junior, talks about education. If you're new to the show, you can check out the introduction episode where I explain why I decided to start this project. In this episode, Isamu talked about the latest of the fashion project. The exhibition, which is a fashion show, is right around the corner. Also, he shared his in-depth analysis of pros and cons of project-based learning and talked about one of the best projects he experienced. Welcome everyone to this episode. Um, this week was a bit of a shorter week because we have college day today. Um, and so this is when each advisory, which is a group of, or a group of students from mixed grades, uh, come together. Um, and college day is essentially exactly as it sounds. Um, every advisory will go tour a college of some sort. Um, and this is, you know, um, to just have allow students to get a feel for, you know, what colleges, certain colleges look like and feel like and whatnot. Um, and so for my advisor, we're going to New York and visiting a couple of the colleges up there. Um, so I'm actually flying out tonight and it's a three night, four day trip. Um, so, you know, that's that's quite a while um, in New York, which is going to be very cold. But I think, you know, it's not just an activity for um a touring of colleges, but it's also an enrichment activity in many ways. And so a lot of advisories are flying to different parts of the country um, to visit certain colleges. And so I think, you know, that's it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, and it's also a communal bonding experience, right? Um, so that is why uh, this week is a bit of a shorter one. I think for this episode, um, I'll just talk a little bit about sort of the philosophies of project-based learning. Um, you know, and why, why, why are there pros and cons to it? You know, what kind of students are best fitted for this model of school? Um, and also, you know, how does education fit within the larger context of society and people's, you know, futures? Firstly, I think this week, I've experienced it a lot, but because of, because of the way, so exhibitions next week. So we, we're, we're right now in a crunch time to get everything done. And this, this happens every project, but the day's before exhibition it's either you have nothing to do because you finished everything or you're constantly working because you need to finish everything before the you know, the deadline and what happens is that teachers give a lot of freedom to students and a lot of time such that they can you know do what they need to do um but what that what ends up happening is that teachers aren't in the classroom a majority of the time because they're either helping specific students or they're in the office doing their own work. Um, and, you know, it, it's an ironic, almost paradoxical, you know, dilemma because teachers 
teachers want to give students the time and freedom to finish their work and to complete what needs to get done. And so, you know, they give the freedom and flexibility to the students to do what they want. But then what ends up happening is, while some students are super productive and can get work done, other students end up not being productive and start playing games on their phone or, you know, computer, even though there is much work to get done because in a group setting, they're like, oh, it's this person's responsibility to do that. And then that sort of justifies in their mind that they don't have to do any work, you know, or they're just waiting for they're waiting for that or they're procrastinating or whatnot. And then it's like (laughs) and it's like, well, I gave you flexibility and you couldn't you, you clearly didn't use it well. So now if I give you structure and, you know, rigor and, you know, I micromanage, you know, what you do, uh, you then start to complain because that's also not very fun at all, you know, to get told what to do by a teacher, right? And so it's this weird, you know, paradox where it's like, I give you too much freedom and you can't use it well, but then I give you too much structure and then you start and you don't like that, right? And so like, what do I do, you know, to actually make you be more productive? And I think, this is not, I mean, this this example is not just just in education, but in a variety of different aspects of our lives. And and yeah, it, it might be a personality thing, you know, depending on the students. Some yeah. students are more likely to be productive or not. Um, but I think for me, what I observe when I look at something like that is that the entire system to begin with isn't doesn't have it isn't under sound philosophies to nurture every student's capacities. And so when I look at that, I think of, you know, whatever student is being unproductive during this, you know, project time. When I look at that, I just see a student who has not had or has not found the quote interest or passion or, um, you know, spark that makes them, you know, actually want to engage in something. And school, the structure of school is not set up such that they can find it and they can develop it, you know. And I think, I think the, you know, the commonalities between PBL and traditional school, which there are some, is that it's still awfully prescriptive. Mm. And what that means is a traditional school, you have a curriculum, you have a scope and sequence document, teachers teach what they're told to teach, right? And this is very, very prescriptive. This is essentially saying, you know, I mean, essentially saying teachers are not you know they're gatekeepers of knowledge basically and they're the ones who are giving information to students right and so that's super prescriptive project-based learning is a bit better because you are doing a project so you're actually creating something actually doing work with others right and that's you know a whole bunch of you know skills and uh experiences can uh you know come out of that but still when teachers design a project and they give it to students that's still a prescriptive model because you're still telling students, you know, roughly what to do. And yes, here and there, you can include student choice, like, you know, what topic do you want to research or, you know, what kind of outfit do you want to design? Like that's, you know, the freedom given to us, but still the overarching premise, especially for, you know, for example, this fashion project is that from the start, we are doing this fashion projects, no questions asked, right? And yes, we do get freedom in the fashion project. And ultimately, I think it was a net positive because I'm learning a lot of history that I would not have otherwise learned. And I'm, you know, learning a bunch of sewing skills and stuff like that, that I did not know before. So I've, I've learned a lot through this project. But still, it was I had no, I had no voice in saying that we want to do this fashion project. It was imposed upon us. And yes, that can be a good thing for some students because I can figure out, you know, for me, I'm a bit of an optimist, so I can, you know, find the bright side of things. But for other students, you know, just the thought of having to do some work, 
they in in uh, in some students' mind, I think PBL is just a little bit better version of traditional school because they still feel like they're being told what to do by the teachers. And you know, this goes back to extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. And I think, especially when you prescribe a project to students, it's oftentimes extrinsic motivation. Like I I have a assignments that are attached to your grades so if you want to keep your grades up you know you need to do these assignments and even though the project is like quote fun and engaging and you know doing semi-interesting stuff um you know a lot of students are still motivated by the fact that they don't want to fail school so they're only doing it just to complete you know get the grade um but they don't actually have a interest in you know fashion or whatever it is right and so and that's not to say that's the fault on the teacher's part because the teachers are only doing what they can what the best of their abilities right um in in this current structure um but given that that's their best work the fact that there are some students who still fall through the cracks it is just it shows that the system underlying philosophies of the system itself um isn't you know it could be improved right there there is still room for improvement um and of course my sort of ideal model of education is that all the adults in the school, um, and I wouldn't even call them teachers, all the facilitators in the school um, think every day, you know, what are the things that I can do to measurably improve the life trajectories of these students and well-being of these students, right? And then channeling all the uh, all the facilitators' creativity towards creating, you know, lessons and structures and projects and whatnot. Um, but that's not just that's just not how we think of education in today's world right um and i think you know education is still a system designed by adults and given to students right and it's not rooted in the experiences and identities of students uh as of this moment and so so long as you know the policies um that um the policies of education are created by adults without, you know, student feedbacks, student input and whatnot, um, you're probably not going to have, you know, an education system that is going to satisfy, you know, all students. May I ask a question? Yes. So I think one question I had from a listener is that the, what makes a project a good project? And I think that the if you ask, 10 different students, they will probably have 10 different answers what they think is a good project. So, but you also mentioned that personal connection to the project, even though the theme of the project is given to you by teacher. Mm -hmm. So given that, what's your opinion about what makes a project a good project? I don't know if I've ever had the perfect project, right? And I don't think there is the perfect project, but... I think I've seen certain teachers execute projects such that a majority of students feel very satisfied with it. And I've also seen teachers who have executed, you know, projects that on paper, they look amazing, but in, in actuality, it was underwhelming or whatnot. And, and I don't think, yeah, this might be, okay, if we're just looking at PBL as a theory, then... I can list you a bunch of things that make a good project. For example, if your essential question should have novelty, um, which means that, you know, 
students should be learning something new. Uh, it should have personal connection where students can actually feel attached to that project in some way um, based on their experiences. Um, it should have deep thinking where it, you know, it's not just a Google search away, but you actually need to deliberate with the stuff to find the answer. Um, and it should have relevancy. Like it should actually be um, connected to what's happening in society and whatnot. You know, those four tenets of a, a central question is like on in theory, yes, if, if you have those elements, that could make a good essential question. And I can do this for every aspect of a project, right? And I can go, you know, step by step, list by list um, of, you know, what quote elements on paper are necessary to make a good project. But you can have all those things and still not have a very good project <laughs> is the thing. Because in real life, real life is messy, you know, and how students engage with it is so dependent on a multitude of factors that are beyond your control. Like as a teacher, I can't control, well, you know, you, you really can't control anything. Uh, and so, well, you can try to control your classroom, right? But ultimately you have 30 individual people within your classroom and you cannot control anything. They think, they feel, you know, their experiences beyond school, outside the classroom. Like that is all, all mostly beyond your control, right? And so, there are a lot of projects that are good on paper, but then in actuality, only like maybe a third of the students are actually engaged with it. The other two thirds um, don't feel connected to it. They don't feel it's relevant. Um, they, they either excel at it too fast and then they get bored or they don't, they struggle grasping even the basics of it and then they uh, get frustrated. You know, like there are so many divergent, you know, pathways um, how, of how students engage with the project that really, I don't, I honestly don't think that, um, um, a perfect project or really a good project can be defined just in terms of theory. Uh, to that, um, I think it's a good reason because I, I heard a conversation about some teacher asking, can you now give me the successful project and let us do it? And I think that might be something that also Japanese teachers are thinking about, wondering about what is a recipe for a good project, right? But one thing I heard from the dean of the middle school is that the teachers need to have the passion for that theme or the project because of that key component. In his opinion, this follow the recipe type of project rarely works well. Like yeah. it's not one size fit to all students and so in the teacher. So my question for you in this case is that how much of this teacher's passion for this like a connection for the theme or project plays a role if you have to give a number if that's even possible a hundred percent hundred percent okay but that's not even the main point like that's a function of what i'm about to say okay. which is that you know i completely agree with the notion that you know this one size fits all this very prescriptive model of pbl does not work right there's no recipe for a good project um well okay there is a recipe for a good project in theory but okay. in practice yeah. that does not work well okay. um Really, the only times I've had, uh, like, I've, I've felt like a majority of the students really connected with this project was with teachers who genuinely care for and love their students, right? And without that, you really don't get a situation where students feel like this is a good project. Because, I mean, it's very, it's quite plain and complex at the same time. And I think what most people don't realize is, like, if student if, if 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 a teacher does not feel you know like the students they are are their priority you know if if teachers don't feel like i am trying to improve you know their the, the experiences of their students well then 
the experience of the students are not going to be improved, right? Like, I, I think it's as simple as that. And really, how did, how did you like observe or feel? Like, what does that look like when you say like the teachers cared us or, you know, in that particular example? What did it look like? Well, the, the best teacher I've had literally said, I love you guys. I mean, you know, and that's, and that's not the way to do it, but that is a function of the genuine care and love he had for his students, right? And, but that's not the only way it shows up. I mean, it shows up in a multitude of ways, like in the project, right? He would constantly pivot the lessons and constantly pivot the structure of the classroom mm. such that it matched what students were looking for and matched the specific, you know, levels and capacities that we had, right? And he he would engineer these classrooms uh, and structures and rotation, you know, things and all, all these different things such that it matched who we were because he had to, he both, I mean, both teachers who were, you know, on, on team, but they had a really um, fundamental sense of who are the people in this room and what kind of, you know, and what kind of things do I have to do to improve the experiences of these specific students, right? And too often, students become a single label. And so you think all students are just a single entity, which mm. is not the case at yeah. all. You need that granularity to recognize that this student is one unique individual with these interests, these passions. And you have to do that for every student. And that's not to say that you need to design a project that's tailored to every student, but you need to recognize that that is who you have in your space, you know? And as the quote leader or facilitator of the room, you know, as a teacher, you need to hold all of those different identities and experiences at once and then figure out the best way to structure it such that I can improve, I can do the best to my abilities of improving, you know, and, and having these students learn um, and create. And, and this takes, you know, a huge amount of creativity on the teacher's part, you know, yeah. how do you do that? And that's why I think the teaching profession, when done well, is one of the most tricky and advanced jobs out there. Um, and, and that's not really, and I think it's one of the, you know, really, A, it's a really noble, but also like, like deep, immensely satisfactory, um, like if you get it right. Um, so in other words, teachers were always like in tune with all exactly. of the students, like observing. And, and of listening. course, not all of them all the time, but yeah. you take, you, you make effort to try to figure out, you know, what, it, what is it that, that makes a student tick? You know, what makes them curious what makes them engage right and you try to find structures and you try to connect them with different students and different people who can bring that out of them right and that's what that's what you're constantly trying to do as a teacher right and i think too often teachers show up to school as if it's just another day of work right which it is but no it's also it's also a story you know it's also a battle it's also a struggle it's also a fight it's also you know and, and i think too often you know teachers just say i'm just going to do what I've been doing for so many years. You know, I come here, I show up, I teach this and this, and, and then I go home at the end of the day. Before I think the teachers I had who were really amazing is that they came to school every day with, you know, a fresh perspective and a fresh sense of, okay, what can I do today such that I can improve, you know, the experiences of my students? What can, what can I do today such that, you know, I can elevate this project even further, right? And that always sense of renewal, always a sense of, you know, that novel, you know, perspective 
was, I think, the key to their success, right? And every day was not the same day, right? Every day was a different day with a different set of experiences and backgrounds and all the all these things. And you had to constantly figure that out. And yes, it is more demanding for teachers to do that. Um, and I don't think it's actually demanding in terms of um, you know, physical time, but I think it's more demanding mentally and emotionally. Emotionally, exactly, yes. the right? Capacity that you have to. And have and that kind of grace is exactly what I want in my teachers. I see. And that's exactly what, I mean, not just teachers lack, but society lacks at building that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have a school, we don't have an emotion school, right? Even though, as human beings, we're mostly emotional things, right? Um, most people think that you know human beings are, um. A species that thinks and feels on occasion, but really we're a species that feels and only thinks on occasion. I, I butchered that quote, but it's something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's just like there's no teacher training that you know develops the emotional capacity of teachers. You know, as of, as of, I know of, right? It's mostly like, can you have you read these texts? Yeah. You know, did you do, do these literature findings? You know, can you do research? You know, all these you know academia and very you know technical skills and whatnot but you know at the end of the day yeah we just don't have enough teachers who have that capacity and grace within them this kind of goes back to the thing that you were talking about in a few episodes about uh ago about the teacher's well-being Mm. how because you in order to have those capacities emotionally mentally or not in addition to the skills as a teacher of teaching you'd have to be very diligent about how you take care of yourself right? exactly so that you can show up exactly 100% exactly every single yes. day for this duration yes. of semester year and i i wonder like if haitika is still slightly better in the sense that they also try to have fun or rest and play kind of thing in the um day-to-day by for the field trip or like it's not every day you're sitting like you know um nine to three in classroom but would you say that or like the experience with other schools that you have how would you rate like the car versus others i mean yeah definitely field trips are like enriching it um but like that's still only a function of what the underlying thing is that if if teachers feel like you know this activity generally improves the experiences of the students then they should do that right and that oftentimes can look like a field trip. But at the same time, if, it, if it's truly that, you know, a field trip does not actually enrich the experience, then you should not do it. And you shouldn't do a field, field trip just for the sake of doing right. a field trip, yeah. right? And that's the nuance that teachers and school systems need. It's like, how much empathy do I have for these and compassion for these students such that I can figure out, you know, exactly what it is that they're seeking for in this moment and never thinking that you know the answers to that question. I see. Okay. All this talk about what education should be is amazing and fine, but I think this leads to a greater conversation of what does education and school mean in the context of society? Because in in, in, in society's lens, right, we say we talk about society, but really we're an economy, right? And especially in a capitalist society, which is what we live in, right? It's about adding value, you know, contributing to GDP, right? Having productive workers, right? Um, increasing the labor market, you know? And especially in the 21st century, um, you know, the current schools right now, like if you just 
took, you know, a generic student and put them through our education system, you know, all the way till high school, they don't come out with the skills and competencies that, you know, employers are demanding in this day and age, right? And I think colleges have become more attuned to that, at least some colleges, and they've tried to design, you know, credentialing systems and, you know, courses and classes that try to better reflect what employers are looking for. But even then, you know, it, it's, it's it's still very inaccessible with you know those colleges, and I I want that I want this to be brought down to the high school level and middle school level, and elementary school level. But you know, the overarching theme of school is that you spend the first twelve years of life learning quote the basic stuff, knowledge and stuff. Most of it, especially in the upper years, you won't ever use esoteric trigonometry, chemistry, you know whatnot. Most students are never going to use any of these. Um, but, you know, you learn the, quote, basics. And then after that, you figure out a way to get into college. And then college is where it's all, you know, magic happens. And then you f- get this degree. And somehow after four years of college, you are now prepared to go out into society, into the real world, and, you know, contribute in, in whatever job you are, you have. And, I mean, it is a complicated conversation because on the one hand, yes, going to college, going through that process... Um, is, 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 does increase, like statistically, does increase the likelihood of you, you know, securing a job, getting a better pay, um, and actually doing well financially, right? Um, and so I still very much get that appeal, you know, of why so many students want to, you know, take that path. Um, but for me, you know, I, I feel that's a very traditional route um, where I'm still always going to be doing something for someone, right? Like whether it's I'm a, in a, whether I'm in a college class doing something for a professor to get this grade or whether I'm in a job doing something for this employer to get a pay, right? I'm always, I'm always going to be working for someone, right? And that it was not very appealing to me. And I think a lot of people in life um, um, would rather be able to create something for themselves, right? Which is, well, okay, I don't know. For some people in life, they would much rather follow someone else because it's easier for them, you know? But I think a lot of people, and even those people, I think somewhere inside of them, there's a sense of like, I want to be able to do something new and, you know, original for myself um, and doing something that I love and, you know, not have to worry about whether or not I'm getting a paycheck out of it. And I think, I mean, and this leads to, this can lead to a more philosophical question of, you know, can you have a society where everyone has a job that they love? And can you actually have a functioning economy like that? But more on the tangible side, it's like, are schools developing the capacities of students such that they can carve out something original and also figure out how to capitalize and actually, you know, monetize that, right? And more and more, I see examples of people who are able to do what they love, um, but not having to work for someone else. And the greatest example of this is content creators, especially on YouTube and and, and Twitch and all, all those uh, platforms. But these content creators, you know, you can play Minecraft for a living at this point, you know, and get thousands and thousands of dollars every month, right? Um, and so this is like, I mean, honestly, this is revolutionary because like never in the history of the economy could you just like play video games and get, you know, serious paychecks. But because of, you know, our advertising model and the internet um, and, you know, this mass marketing and all this stuff, you know, it's become feasible where you can be a content creator, right? And and, and still live and yeah. be very successful yeah. and have even a, you know, semi-luxurious lifestyle too, right? Um, and that that is just like, that's brilliant news to me because I feel like 
uh, I mean, honestly, I'm even, I mean, this podcast is a form of content creation, you know, in education. And, you know, if something like this or something similar to this can, you know, grow exponentially, then this can become sustainable living. And what I'm doing right now is stuff I love, right? And if I can, you know, pay the bills with this, that would be, you know, incredible. And so I think more and like th that option exists, you know, there's proof of concept out there that there are so many people doing what they like to do, you know, not working for someone, but working for themselves and getting paid, you know, enough money to finance themselves, right? That's amazing. All those case studies, wonderful. Why aren't they being taught in schools, you know? Um, and that just, and I mean, the clear answer is that school systems are still structured around you always have to be doing something for someone else. And that is the way you're going to live your life, right? And that's, that's the mentality that is instilled within people, um, and especially young kids, um, which I, I don't think is very just at all. But um, yeah, just the overarching idea of, you know, we all recognize that we're playing the game, right? Um, playing the game of school, playing the game of life, being the game of society, right? And there's a lot of like sense that a lot of young people might feel trapped or stuck in this game, right? And so can you really break out is, is the question or can you, do you have to only win at the game in order to be successful in life, right? Can you be successful and not play the game or not succeed quote at the game, mm. you know? Um, yeah, I think, and this goes back to a conversation I was having with a student who's one year below me, but at the same sort of academic caliber or intelligence as, you know, um, someone like myself, where he's like the top student of his grade, uh, academically speaking, and is right now feeling very lethargic, very bored, very, you know, like school really isn't doing it for me. You know, it's not satisfactory at all because I'm acing everything that teachers give at me. And it feels like no matter what, like, you know, it, it's it's not going to be satisfying. And I think a lot of the top 10% of students have felt this way, especially at this school, you know, and I'm friends with, you know, most of them. But I think the problem is that, you know, there is, you know, rapport between teachers and students and teachers will be like, you know, what can I, what can I do to, you know, you know, give you something more challenging, right? And a lot of times the generic answer is like, well, give me more challenging work, right? But we haven't really defined what challenging means. So oftentimes what ends up happening is that you give more, quote, advanced, you know, mathematics or, you know, longer research papers and whatnot. And it just becomes more busy work, but mm -hmm. it doesn't become harder necessarily, more yeah. intellectually stimulating at okay. all, right? And just because it takes more time to do doesn't mean it's more fun to do or more interactive or more, you know, more learning is happening, right? And I think that comes from a sense that learning has to be difficult for it to be meaningful, which I don't feel at all. I feel learning something new can be, should be totally fun and engaging and exciting. But unfortunately for a mass majority of people on this earth, you know, when they f they feel like they need to go through some hardship or difficulty, you know, and it's like struggling to do this thing and have like a hard time before they, you know, feel like they're quote learning something. I mean, you know, take mathematics, for example, most students have a hard time in math class, period, right? And in order for them to go be learning, like they have to have a struggle in math class. And, and, but for me, like I'm the complete opposite. Um, I. I feel like no matter how hard a math class it is, no matter how advanced, I can have fun in enjoying the process of that. And, you know, yes, that doesn't mean I know all the answers, but I find joy in trying to strive uh, for towards those answers, right? But I think a lot of 
students don't feel that way. And I mean, that's just probably a personality thing of whether or not you're curious and whether you love to learn or not. And I mean, you know, who, who can control that, you know, really. But um, I mean, going back to this sense of for, you know, the top percentile of students, honestly, I feel like, you know, like one of the thoughts I've been having right now is for the top percentile of students, obviously no academic course is going to satisfy you at this point, you know, no matter how hard it gets, it's just going to be more of the same rote stuff. So a challenge for you guys would be, you know, I would actually think, you know, what, for example, if there was, you know, this prompt, you know, who could raise a thousand dollars the fastest, mm. right? That is like a totally new type of problem, you know, like, how the heck am I supposed to raise a thousand dollars from nothing? You know, what is it that I can do? That I think would stump a lot of students, even if they have, you know, all A pluses, excel academically, you know, they look, they take that problem. If they're given that problem, they're like, um, I have no idea where to start because schools aren't designed to help you solve problems like that, right? Schools have been designed such that students can solve problems such that, you know, what's the integral from zero to four of, you know, X squared DX, you know, stuff like that. Like very specific to academia and, you know, mathematics and all these disciplines, but not translating that to the real world of like, you know, how can I raise a thousand dollars? Which is a problem I think everyone would love to be able to solve, right? Like if everyone could figure that out, like, I think more people would be way more satisfied and it's actually way more relevant and useful to your life to be able to raise a thousand dollars, you know, or I mean, it's some arbitrary amount, but like giving that student to the top percentile, you know, I, they, they become stumped. They're like, well, I, I, I have no clue where to start, you know? And I think that problem requires so much creativity that schools just aren't teaching. So ultimately, you know, is high tech high with their project based learning doing something, you know, better than most schools? I would say yes. Is it the most ideal version of what I think education should be like? Not really. Um, and, you know, to answer questions like, you know, what makes a good project or, you know, you know, what kind of students are best fitted for PBL? That's still focusing into this idea that PBL is the way to go, which I'm not totally sold on. Right. And I think PBL is definitely a function of what the ideal education system should look like. But I think there's still the overarching philosophy for what school should be and what it should mean for students is uh, is different. And I think, yeah, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Um, but after the trip to New York, three days, three nights, four days, I'll come back um, and next week's exhibition. So, um, yeah, big events happening there. Signing off? Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The main topic of today's episode, project-based learning, was inspired by questions from one of our wonderful listeners. We really appreciate you sharing your thoughts, comments, and questions. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.